Oh, well, I want to take a moment and I want to honor Pastor Rhonda, who led us two weeks ago through praying scripture, and then Toju, who led us brilliantly last week through warfare prayer. Well done, each and every one of you. Thank you as ministers of the gospel for ministering to us. And today we're going to have two devotionals. This is the first I want to set up where you want to go in the second. And I want to talk today just for a few minutes again devotionally, and I want to speak into attention. And the tension is who you are in Christ and then who we are becoming in Christ. These are two separate things, and we live in between and we feel the tension. I also want to take a moment and congratulate each and every one of you. This is the end of our 21-day fast, so well done you. If it's your first Sunday at Life Center, you're like, oh, I'm done. That's awesome. Wasn't, wasn't actually that hard. It's great. But give you an example. When Jesus was baptized in water, he came out of the water and the voice of the Father, you see the Spirit descending like a dove, and the voice of the Father, so you see this full Trinitarian perspective. The Father says, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. Affirms Jesus' identity before he has done anything, it's who he is. It's a statement of definition. Because when we talk about prayer, the number one thing that every Christian feels is, I don't pray enough. And so immediately, the moment we talk about your personal prayer life or mine, it's from a place of not enoughness. But that is not the posture that we want to speak from or abide in. On August 5th, 1995, I became a husband. I was unqualified to become one, but I became one nonetheless. I walked into a church with one identity, and I walked out of a church with another identity. In the 26 years from that moment, I did not one day become more of a husband than I became in that moment. That doesn't mean that I haven't learned how to be healthier, how to be more patient, how to be more loving. It doesn't mean there's not been a lot of missteps along the way, but I never strove or was, there was no striving to become what I became. In the same way, one day, maybe this day, you become a follower of Christ. You become a child of God. Daily, we are growing to be more like Jesus, but you are not growing to become a child of God. You are a child of God. And so when we speak about where we must grow, it is not from your not enoughness. It is from who you are in Christ, the finished work of what Jesus has done in the unfinished work of our lives. And this is the tension. And here's the challenge. Your spiritual adversary will get you to put weight on the wrong priority. He will cause you consistently to believe because you don't, you are not a good enough child of God. You are not enough. Now listen, you may, got lots, you may have lots of things that you need to change, but the one thing you can't change is the only thing that Jesus did for you by His grace, which has made you a child of God. And so while prayer takes and is a spiritual practice, it is never about performance. We pray from our identity in Christ, so it's not merely an activity, nor is it a way to prove anything, but it is tied to purpose and it is important. It's intrinsic. It's, it's a value. You and I have had the opportunity to look at the world in which we live and we see tremendous beauty. We see things that take our breath away, but we also see things that break our heart, whether it's the ongoing conflict in Ukraine whether it happens to be in Jerusalem and the issue with Palestinian comes in and those who were simply at a cafe 
lose their life. Whether it's followers of Jesus or a pastor like me in Nigeria who is simply living their life and are abducted and murdered from, by Boko Haram, whether it happens to be in the United States of America, those who are sworn to protect and serve, brutalize and murder, uh, image bearer of God. We, you and I live in a world that is lost and it is broken, and we are not the saviors, but we have a part to play in the brokenness of everything that we see. And paramount within this is this place of prayer. One day in Acts, on a road called Damascus, the Apostle Paul becomes a child of God. He then develops a life of prayer, cultivating his surrendered yes to follow Jesus. Where God meets him is not where he ends up. Day by day, month by month, year by year, Paul learns and grows to become more like Christ. And in order for Paul in his day, with the brokenness of his day, which is different yet similar to ours, to reconcile these things, it is vital that he too develop a personal life of prayer. And so one time Paul speaks with a group of men in Athens who were religious and not followers of Jesus. And by the way, you can be both religious and not a follower of Jesus. And while sharing the gospel with them, the good news inspired by the Holy Spirit, here's what he says, and it's profound for you. I don't want to talk to anyone else, whether you're here or at home, just you. Here's what he says. The God who made the world and everything in it, being the Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needs anything, needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life, breath, and everything." And then he said this, and he made from one man, Jewish and Gentile, every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods, this is God's domain, and boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far away from each one of us. And now Paul quotes one of their secular poets. In him we live and we move and we have our being, even as some of your own poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. In the prayer first book that we have put out, which over 500 of you have downloaded, so thank you for doing that in January, Chris Hodges says this, God has put us on the earth at this specific time for a reason. In Acts 17, verse 26, that he determined when and where we would live, knowing this. We can look around at this specific time in history and take personal responsibility to pray. And I want to acknowledge that living in 2023 can sometimes be overwhelming, but I want you to take comfort in this biblical truth. God created you on purpose, for a purpose, at this specific point in human history. There is a reason that God has five generations, various ethnicities, living where they live on the earth today 
for his divine purpose. You are not here by accident. You are not in this region by accident. You're not in your neighborhood by accident. You're not at your workplace by accident. You don't have the relationships you do by accident. That it is tied to purpose why God has knit us all together. You and I may look at the world and think, man, another generation could have dealt with these problems. No, in God's sovereignty, he has knit us all together for such a time as this. Now, in a few moments, I want to come back and share with you a connection and a profound challenge, a profound problem that is deeply personal yet experienced corporately. And I want to pull on this thread because I want you to know that your personal place of prayer is so significant to our city experiencing the love of God that we cannot actually do it without you. God could do it without us, but we can't do it without one another. And it is not to heap shame. What it is meant to do is to beckon, say, let us together meet God in this place for such a time as this. Let's all stand in stillness and together trust that He is God. I'll see you in a few minutes. And so there's no question that corporate worship is the spout where the Spirit pours out as He is doing on us now. But your personal time of prayer is another spout where the Holy Spirit desires to pour out in your heart and life just as much. And so here's the connection and here's the problem. The connection is the place where I do, we do, the heavy lifting about the influence that God has given us to steward is our prayer practice, our personal prayer practice. And the problem is, is most Christians don't have a personal prayer practice. And what that means is this. It means far too many Christians today are working out influence things under spotlights that are better purposed to be wrestled out under the protective shadow of God's wings, so to speak, in this private prayer or the private place of prayer. How many of you, when you look at the world, something bugs you? Can I see your hands? Whether you're here at home, hands up in the chat. You may have strong opinions about what is, But how strong is your place of prayer where you wrestle this out? In athletics, there's the practice field or the practice ice, and then there's game day. And teams that practice well usually play well. (laughs) Unless they have sucky players, and it doesn't matter. (laughs) The same thing, though, in the theater is that actors or actresses or musicians who practice over here and work out all the bugs over here, when it comes to the, the stage, it, it looks effortless. But how many of you know it isn't? It looks effortless because it was worked out in practice. Here's the only difference if you're in athletics, if you're in drama, if you're uh, in musical theater, if you're in that space. Here's the only difference. They know when showtime is, we don't. You never know when the door is going to open for you to share the love of Jesus with your neighbor. You don't know when the conversation might happen between you and a coworker that needs to happen. It's not on your calendar. You don't know when it is. But the place where that you need to perform shows up. And whether we've been in practice or not, 
also shows up. Loved ones, some pastoral words, if I may. For some of you, you need to stop taking advice about God from people who don't love God. I'm not saying don't listen to them. They may have information. We're going to talk about Paul in a moment. There was a time Jesus used his life to lead other people to Jesus, and there was a time Paul had his life, and God didn't use him because in this place he was deformed. He was not a follower of Christ. Some of you are taking the most profound wisdom and insight and direction from people who do not love God whatsoever. Proverbs chapter 1 gives us direction of what we should do in instances such as these. You know, I've been in meetings. There's three words you never have to say. I'm not perfect. Everybody knows you're not perfect. If you need to say it for you, then just say it. It's not for our benefit. We already know. We live with you. And you live with us. So nobody needs to say that. So I've been in meetings where people point out things that I don't want to hear, but they're truthful and they're said in love. And they sting. None of us needs protection from that. We need to hear that through mature ears. So when things are said about the church that we need to hear, I'm not talking about those things. Just because we don't like it doesn't necessarily mean it isn't true and that we don't need to hear that. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about when someone's heart is only bent on destruction, it's different. It's one thing if you say something to Lori and I'm in the room that she needs to hear that we all agree she needs to hear. That may be a good thing for her to hear. I just did me first, now I'm doing her. But if you just want to defame her, if you want to diminish her, if you want to destroy her, even if there's truth to what you're saying, your spirit is so off. A lot of prophetic voices today, they may have the right word, but they got the wrong heart. And if they got the wrong heart, it doesn't matter what the word is. It's a big deal. Loved ones, we're the bride of Christ and we got spots and wrinkles. Be careful how you talk about his bride. We are the church, but it's ultimately his church. You know, if you want to come at Lori to destroy her, there's not much I can do physically, but you're going to get a very strongly worded letter <laughs> with, with perfectly placed adjectives. That's what you're going to get. But again, if you point out things from the spirit of love that need to be engaged, this, this is not an issue. And so Paul has this profound encounter with Jesus, and he becomes a child of God. And Ananias, another child of God, lived in the region where Paul was staying. And I want you just to see something where the Spirit is being poured out, but it's not corporately, it's personally. Both men independently are in prayer when God engages their purpose. Acts 9, 10 to 12. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias, and the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And he said, here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, rise and go to the street called Straight, and at the house of Judas look for a man of Tarshish named Saul, for behold, he's doing what? What was Paul doing? Paul's praying. Ananias is praying independent of one another. They're both praying, and the God who sees everything is moving. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay hands on him so that he might regain his sight. Now here comes the wrestle. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have, Lord, I have read the social media posts about this guy. He's already been canceled. 
This is exactly what he says. I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. We've already canceled him. He's worthless. He's gone. He's nobody. It's done. And here he has the authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. What is Ananias saying? Paul is praying over here because he has a perspective. Ananias is over here because he has a perspective. But the place of prayer is where both of them get God's perspective. And when you and I do not have a personal place of prayer, whether it's in our personal situations or corporate situations, we lack God's perspective. And so we think we're seeing clearly, but we're only seeing partially. The Lord said to him, go, Matthew 28, what is our commission? Go. Go. For he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. And then Ananias said, I will go deliver that word. (laughs) That's not the point. The point, though, is this. Because Ananias wrestles in prayer, he's able to obediently walk in purpose. Whom God has placed in your sphere of influence is for you to have a prayer life for them, but also a purpose in their story. In your personal prayer focus, we've made these little cards, and guess what we called them? Uh, We called them a personal prayer focus, because we're creative. (laughs) And if you flip them over, it says, write the names of those in your circle of influence, anyone you're connected to, And then we added, maybe for this Easter, pray for an opportunity to invite them to church with you. And here's what we said. You could write names of family, friends, coworkers, people in your neighborhood, people in your church. And this last one's really going to tick some of you off, but we wrote my government. Turn the person beside you and say, get behind me, Satan. You have not the things of the <laughs> kingdom of God. In my... Some of you got really strong opinions about government, and I don't want to hear them anymore. Unless your prayer life matches your opinion, I don't want to hear it. If you think, if you think salvation's going to come from the House of Parliament, you got another thing coming. <laughs> it doesn't mean, though, that we dishonor the House of Parliament. Even if we vehemently disagree or agree. I'm, not gonna, I'm just going to keep moving. In the New Testament, there was an action in the early church that they had to set one another apart, sometimes when they were sick and other times to minister. And there was two things that they did. They laid on hands and they anointed with oil. And all it did was served as a means of grace to affirm God's call, God's purpose on a person's life. The anointing of oil is a physical, tangible moment to remind you of something. The day you're anointed with oil and you have it kind of on your head, it's this outward sign to remind you that you are different. You have been set apart in particular when ministry gets really hard, when life gets really hard. The oil doesn't make you holy. It's just olive oil. That's all it is. As water for baptism is just water. It is the step of faith that you're engaging with whom you are engaging that matters. So anointing with oil like water baptism isn't magic, but it is holy. It is this outward sign reflecting being set apart to be a minister of the gospel to others, that you have a place of prayer 
but you also have to steward a place of purpose, that you are called to minister to those around you, that you are called to love those around you, that you are called to be Christ-like to those around you. And to do that, you must be set apart, not against. You must be set apart. God alone calls and makes ministry fruitful. The Holy Spirit alone makes us more Christ-like ministers to a lost and broken world. But this is a moment to signify this laying on of hands and this anointing with oil. It's just a moment of a reminding you, to remind you at the end of a fast that my personal place of prayer will not save the world. But my personal place of prayer is the, place, is, is, is the place where I talk to the one who can save the world. My personal place of prayer is where I lift family and friends and coworkers and neighbors and church and government and whatever else you wish to add. It is the place where you wrestle out their perspective and your perspective while asking for God's perspective on the situation. Social media is not the best place to do this. Life groups sometimes are not the best place to do this, but this under-the-shadow place of practice where we can make lots of mistakes because it's not game day, where we get to wrestle it out, is the place where we wrestle out these things. And we lay on hands and we anoint with oil as a, as a sign, as a symbol, that you would be set apart to the place of prayer, to the place of wholeness, and the place of ministry in the midst of a lost and broken world. And so I'm going to invite you to remain seated as we sing a song over you that in song, in lyrics, summarizes all that we have been trying to impart by the Holy Spirit today.